This is Sight in Africa. Welcome to episode 8 of this series from the LSE Ferro's largest centre for Africa. I'm Siermia Willoughby. Money. There's never enough of it. Especially for academic researchers seeking funding for that great topic that they want to investigate. Opportunities and initiatives certainly exist, but as with many things, the demand outstrips supply. In this episode, we will investigate the strengths and weaknesses of the funding environment for Africa-based researchers. Whether it is traveling, covering subsistence costs, buying necessary equipment, research needs money. But for scholars based on the continent, acquiring funding can be a challenge. However, it is necessary for researchers to produce work that could potentially transform their societies. Let's hear from Divine Fa, Head of Publications and Dissemination at the Council for the Development of Social Science Research in Africa, also known as CODESRIA, an organization very much focused on promoting and facilitating research and knowledge production of the African continent. Part of what we do is to find ways, you know, to encourage uh, both countries and institutions to try to invest and research, you know, as a tool for growth or as a tool for development. Uh, I mean, if you look across the continent now, uh, discussions around building, for example, an African Research Council are still are still very new, uh, in spite of the fact that these ideas uh, had been developed, you know, uh, many years back. So a large chunk of funding uh, on the continent actually comes from outside the continent. Uh, and this comes in uh, mainly through uh, development assistance, uh, like institutions like the Nordic, you know, uh, countries. Uh, you can also find funding from philanthropic uh, organizations such as uh, Carnegie, you know, and, and others. So there is a huge chunk of funding uh, on the continent for research. Uh, and other intellectual stuff, but which comes from outside. Within the continent, uh, there, there is really, really, there are few uh, opportunities that are born out of different countries. So in the past years, uh, uh, several countries have begun to develop research uh, councils uh, through which they fund you know, research into institutions, into different universities. So uh, right now, I think where this is uh, very developed is especially in South Africa with the National Research Council. Uh, but uh, countries such as Kenya, for example, have begun to build partnerships. Uh, I think Ghana is also developing uh, research councils. And you can see that uh, among within the, the Francophonie also, many of those countries have begun to develop and as far as Divine Fur is concerned, it is very clear who bears the responsibility of supporting Africa-based scholars to produce quality work. I mean, it's simple. <laughs> Governments need to invest money in research. Uh, it is for their good. Uh, it's for the good for, of, of, of various countries, but it's also to ensure that we build the next generation and imagine a society that is grounded in empirical work. Uh, I think that's, that is really important. 
tax a, a good percentage of of your taxpayers' money to be invested in that. It is important not to underestimate the impact of limited funding for scholars based in African countries. As Divine Fur of Kodesria told us, it can even affect the type of work one takes on. I think we, without money, there's very little they can do. That's the first. Uh, I mean, you, you have people, uh, for example, in Sierra Leone receiving a grant of $200, having to compete with somebody in the UK who has a grant of about, you know, uh, 100,000 pounds, you know. Uh, I mean, so so already you can see that there is there, there are lots of inequalities in that. So uh, where when do we reach a, a point where we can be able to invest, you know, substantial amounts of money in research without necessarily asking the question why how this research directly contributes to development, you know. Uh, can we just ask questions for the sake of asking questions? You know, can I uh, obtain money and just ask questions about why apples fall? You know, so why it is possible to ask certain questions uh, outside the continent? We seem to imagine that when researchers uh, ask questions, this must be directly related to development. So if we are able to first allow them the opportunity to just think and just ask questions. I think that's the first step uh, to be able to allow them to have the kind of visibility and recognition that you're asking for. Uh, the second is to be able to uh, develop the knowledge uh, uh, production infrastructure on the continent. Uh, we, we have like, uh, I would say hundreds, hundreds and close to thousands of journals, uh, academic journals on this continent. Uh, which haven't had the, uh, the visibility and the recognition that they should have. Uh, because recognition doesn't mean one should be able to only publish uh, outside of Africa. Uh, because these are, when we ask questions, these are questions that are related to African reality. Africans should be able to have these discussions in publications that are, are produced within this uh, continent. So uh, something which you need to do is to develop the knowledge production infrastructure, which means, for example, you need to have very excellent publishing houses. Uh, you need to be able to have uh, excellent research uh, funding institutions. Uh, but also one needs to invest very deeply in uh, uh, the management of research money, you know, and resources. So, uh, the, in the, in what I call the entire uh, ecosystem of knowledge production needs to be developed in order to allow our researchers to do excellent research and to be able to have the recognition and visibility that uh, we want. And uh, we should not necessarily uh, continue to do what uh, Paulin Otenji has called extraversion, that we continue to produce knowledge on this continent in order to make people happy outside of this continent. Are there any other sources of funding to which institutions of higher education can turn? Divine Fair again. If government really can step in, we have the private sector. Uh, I see uh, many African business uh, men and women investing money in uh, places like LSC, you know, in institutions in Europe and across the world, you know, why can't they invest that money on the continent? Mm -hmm.
As Divine Fur mentioned earlier in the episode, a significant amount of research funding for African issues comes from abroad. One of these overseas funding organizations is the Social Sciences Research Council in the United States. Cyril Obi, Program Director of the African Initiatives at this organization, told me about the opportunities available. The SSRC's priorities in funding research in African countries is um, quite formidable. It has gone through several changes, but I must say it's one of the top priority areas of the SSRC. Currently, we have three programs. Uh, the African Peace Building Network, the Next Generation Social Sciences in Africa, so what the next gen tries to do is to support the training of university faculty to complete and have PhDs. And we believe that that will greatly contribute towards addressing that shortage. Uh, the third program is called Understanding Violent Conflict, or the UVC program. And what it does is to strengthen the evidence base for interdisciplinary research on violent conflict. As we just heard, the SSRC has clearly made Africa a research priority. From small beginnings around a quarter of a century ago, the SSRC Africa initiatives are beginning to rack up significant impact. Cyril Obi tells us about some of their successes. We did international work uh, in the late 80s and, 19, and the early to mid 1990s where small institutional grants were given to African museums and archives. Two program staff were actually recruited, one Ron Casimir and the other Alcinda Huwana, and they ran a program for African researchers who were working on youth-related issues. At that point in time, the interventions in Africa on the part of the SSRC were actually limited or rather small. But what we have witnessed in the past seven years is a rapid expansion. We've produced over 200 fellows and grantees of both programs. But even within the seven years, you would see a gradual shift in focus. We want to open up opportunities for the next generation. NextGen has awarded over 200 fellowships, while APN has awarded over 100. Cyril Obi of SSRC, based in New York City. Another research council invested in conducting research on the African continent is the Economic and Social Research Council, also known as the ESRC. It is the largest organization in the United Kingdom for funding research on economic and social issues. We have been speaking to James Smith, Vice Principal International and Professor of African and Development Studies at the University of Edinburgh. He also serves on the governing body of the ESRC. He was part of the advisory group for the ESRC DFID Fund, which supported research in lower and middle income countries, also known as LMICs, which includes those in Africa. He told us that over the past few years, there has been an adjustment in what they expect from funding proposals. Because the funding was coming from from DFID, and because um, the research had to have, you know, it, the assessment of the research was on impact as well as on research excellence. The role of, of of LMIC partners was really important, and that was to 
have a, have a, a southern partner who would be playing a, a key role in delivering the research with you, uh, and, and typically not in a subsidiary position. You would find quite senior academics basically date collecting data, and this is much much more about conceptualizing the research problem together. Quite a big shift in thinking around the nature of partnership and the role of African researchers. But how does the ESRC track whether research projects are fulfilling the research capacity component? James Smith again. Well, there's two things. So one was, well, three actually. So one was, the expectation was that it would be a proper research collaboration. Secondly, there had to be research capacity building activities as part of any larger grant proposal at a ring-fenced amount you were supposed to dedicate to that kind of work. And three, um, if you're thinking about um, impact and impact pathways and the sorts of things you might say would come out of your research project, um, the encouragement was to talk about the research impact, so how might your research affect behavioural change or improve policy, but also the capacity building impact as well, and how you write that up at the end. Professor James Smith there. Being reliant on research funding from outside the continent means that Africa-based researchers focus their attention on providing the answers for questions these external funders are asking, as Divine Fur of Codestria told us. I mean, you, we can start by saying that the people who pay uh, the piper command the tune, isn't it? <laughs> and even after they've commanded the tune, they determine what dance you dance, and in the end, they also assess whether the dance is a good dance or a bad dance. <laughs> so we, we, we are trapped in this cycle uh, where we continuously do what, like I said, Poulain Otonji called extraversion. Uh, I do not really expect uh, European tax money uh, or taxpayers' money uh, to do research on what Africans are interested in, you know. I think it's unfair to ask that question, but I think uh, if we were to invest our own money, we should be able to determine, you know, what paradigms, you know, uh, and what questions we can ask. Uh, funding money on the continent uh, usually comes with specific thematic uh, focus, uh, for example, in the past years, uh, much of the funding was about migration, you know, so whatever project you did, especially in the social sciences and humanities, you had to link it up to migration because Europe had uh, an immigration or migration challenge. Uh, today, it's much about security, you know, because of the questions in the Sahel, you know, so you find lots of projects. So you can see each year at some point it was about structural adjustment, at some point it was about HIV, at some point, you know, it was about Ebola. So uh, funding money actually drives what kinds of questions we ask. The question to Africans is whether these are the questions we want to ask. You know, are these the questions we want to ask? Are these the questions we are interested in? Or we want to continue to do extraversion? Funders in the Global North have become aware of this issue and are making efforts to address it, according to the ESRC's James Smith. It's complicated as well. So, so um, the, the kind of research programme grants that DFID um, funded perhaps prior to the Research Council engagement 
would have capacity building and, and the expectation of Southern partners as well. I think the big difference is they were much more research contracts rather than open call research funding where you're you're trying to elicit ideas through the, the, the funding call. The, the, the previous different funding was um, here's a problem they want to solve and they want people to tell them how they're going to solve it to access the funding. So I think that there's kind of a step a step back a level in terms of conceptualization of, of projects and that's perhaps shifted um, the role of African researchers a bit and that they were um, perhaps now more encouraged to be able to say, well, these are what we think the problems are that might always have been the case in the past, create this more direct connection to um, LMIC countries and contexts. Cyril Obi of the SSRC in the United States. One of the reasons why NextGen and the APN were created was we also observed that there was a culture of consultancy that was creeping into African universities. And so a lot of colleagues adopted what we call multiple survivalist livelihoods. They would, they would teach by day and do other things in the evening. When we then came with support for research and for knowledge production, we were actually creating an, an alternative because the grants and the fellowships would provide them with resources to buy out time to actually focus on research. The SSRC is positioning itself as a champion of independence and ethical research. Let's hear from Cyril Obi again. I think there are several kinds of funding. There is a funding that is for consultancy. Now, with that kind of funding, the regal room is limited in the sense that he who pays a piper dictates a tune. But the kind of research that the SSRC funds is guided by the principles and the history of the organization. Funding does not determine the paradigm. The kind of research we support is independent research. And actually research that can actually contribute towards public issues. We also emphasize ethical research. In fact, an important component of our training involves training in ethical research. Yes, the research will not be completely free of paradigms, but it will be paradigms chosen by the researcher, not by the funder. According to Divine Fa, he has had a varied experience collaborating with researchers from the Global North. Yeah, I mean, in my career, I've collaborated with uh, people in Europe. I mean, and uh, Europe, Asia, uh, the US, and also in, in South America. And always the money comes from, from outside the continent. Uh, and sometimes it's, or many times it's actually really annoying because somebody is applying for a project and uh, needs to have a collaborator, an African write to you and say, look, I'm doing a project and I need a collaborator. Please, can you give, send me your name and will you be interested? So it's always like this ad. You need to add and stir, add and stir, and add and stir. And I think that's a big issue. Uh, but we've had lots of successful uh, uh, collaborations, you know, over a number of projects. Uh, yeah, because they've led to me either outputs or 
students who've participated and therefore acquired uh, knowledge and skills and you know met other people and different encounters you know uh, so there, there are many of those uh, which are also still going on. So what is the best way to support young Africa-based scholars to do good research for which they can gain global recognition? Cyril Obi of the SSRC has identified three key components. The first thing is to have good doctoral training that will give them that capacity that will support them in terms of capacity, in terms of worldviews, in terms of exposure to the latest, the most innovative research methods, and to be at par with their colleagues internationally. And so for us, it's the opportunity to have excellent, to support excellent doctoral training in research on Africa. That's the first thing. And to do that, you need resources to train and resources to do research and write. And this is where these programs are very critical because we are able to give the resources in terms of training. We are also able to give the resources to actually do the research out there in the field. The third component of how, what they would need would be mentorship. A mentorship, you can't put a value on it in terms of quantifying it, but mentorship is critical. That very senior experienced academics, scholars and practitioners mentor the younger generation. Now, what happened when people migrated from the universities in the 80s and 90s is that a whole generation of mentors were no longer there. So we are able to provide that at the postdoctoral level through the APN, and we are already seeing uh, the, the impact of this. The other thing I will add is that support for research and writing. Writing, as you probably understand, is a skill. What actually gives visibility to research findings is that ability to transform them from raw data into actual knowledge. And beyond even that transformation is the ability to package and disseminate them through traditional and new media. And as James Smith of the ESRC emphasizes, mentorship is certainly vital. I think what, what, what scholars often need is time to do in-depth research and kind of mentorship. That, that being the case, if you're saying that, that, that time and mentorship and international connections are important for ESRC um, kind of type researchers, then I, I think it's joint capacity building activity. I think it's joint fellowships, fellowships that allow you to spend some time working with partners in other parts of the world, as well as support when you go back. Um, there's quite a lot of fellowships exist to allow scholars to come and spend time with a UK partner and that's really excellent in many ways but I think the challenge is when you go back to your home university you just write back into you know lots of teaching and your day-to-day -day job and you need some I think ongoing support to allow you to take your kind of new experience and your new connections and turn them into an active research program so I think we're, we're, we're quite good at um, helping people travel around the world but we're not quite so good at helping them travel back and, and make things work in their home institutions 
So funding of that nature, I think, is really important. And, and I think the Wellcome Trust have probably been as good as anybody in thinking about these sorts of issues. Um, research councils, perhaps a little bit less so, who I think need support to kind of gain the experience and expertise to bridge that gap. Despite the dearth of research funding in African countries, there are still success stories. Divine Fur has been sharing some of them. I mean, the very fact that institutions survive today following uh, the kinds of uh, defunding which happened uh, post-structural adjustment is already, it's a miracle. Uh, I think many uh, scholars, if you read uh, uh, Zeleza, you read Mamdani's work, you know, there's, there's been a, a, a long uh, trajectory of publications and research on these, uh, on, on these questions. But institutions, for example, such as Codestria, which have uh, existed since 1973, uh, have trained a large community of scholars and over four or five generations of scholars uh, who I would say uh, are Pan-Africanists and ask uh, Pan-Africanist questions uh, uh, and have gone on to work uh, as academics in universities, in governments and in the private sector. So I, I think that's a big uh, success story. Austria uh, are similar, the AAU, all African universities, is similar. Uh, many of the universities on the continent, you know, uh, have, have, have developed programs, you know, to train younger scholars who have then come back, uh, you know, to work in those institutions. And that's the generation of people we work with today, whether it's in Kenya, in Ibadan, in uh, Fura Bay, you know, in Zimbabwe, up in Malawi, across the continent. There, there, there's a lot of of efforts with people trying to do nothing, uh, something out of nothing. I, I trained at the University of Boya, uh, and I remember telling colleagues that uh, when I went through the university, I don't remember really having uh, current, recent books, you know, current books, you know, in the library. Uh, it depended on professors who helped to organize small reading groups. You know, these are there are lots of very small efforts that we don't see. What is visible is uh, generally the big programs run by big institutions. You know, uh, we need to to recognize and acknowledge that these institutions actually have lots of success stories. The fact that these universities survive and that scholars are still trying to do what they can do with almost nothing. Uh, is to needs to be uh, recognized. Austria, which Divine Fur mentioned there, is the Organization for Social Science Research in Eastern and Southern Africa. And this organization has also been very influential in developing initiatives for emerging scholars. One of Codestria's most impressive programs has been the series of institutes which it has run for a number of years. It has had a significant impact on a huge number of Africa-based scholars, including Divine Fair. I was born uh, out of the 2003 institutes, uh, or Child and Youth Institute. I was at the University of Botswana then doing my master's, and I got admitted to the Kudesio Child and Youth Institute. It was the first time that I participated in uh, an international uh, conference or workshop. And through that, I met a lot of uh, other young scholars, like-minded people. And across the years, 
Uh, when I look at Kodeshia uh, today, uh, all, almost every uh, senior staff here came through a Kodeshia Institute. We all went on to do PhDs, to work in different African universities. Uh, and I think that's a success story. There are lots of other people on the continent that I know. So the Kodeshia Institute have actually trained a long list of people. This is similar to Austria because Austria used to run methods workshops and also other thematic focus workshops. And many of those scholars are today on the continent and outside the continent. But what makes these institutes run by Kodeshia so successful? Let's hear from Divine Fur again. You might call them summer schools just to make other people understand, but they're more like uh, think workshops where you bring uh, about 15 to 20 scholars from across the continent for uh, two weeks to four weeks period uh, of a, a, a thematic issue. Uh, uh, Kodeshia has, for example, Governance Institute, which every year uh, congregates around some kind of a thematic uh, a question. Uh, so these people write proposals which are, are selected. These proposals, once selected, they're invited to uh, sit here for a period. They present their papers. We give them space like a library and uh, a reading uh, a material like a bibliography which is developed uh, tailor-made for each person and for that period. Um, and then uh, they would develop their papers further, improve them, and after submit it as a book and a publication. So if you look at our catalog, you see several edited collections. We just published one uh, from the uh, one of the last institutes coordinated by Fatou So, which is about gender and uh, security. Last year, we published another one about gender and sexuality. So there are lots of like uh, key texts on the continent, reference material on the continents which emerge out of this. So it provides a uh, opportunity for networking. At the same time, it provides opportunity for people to help uh, to uh, learn and acquire skills about writing. Uh, also, resource persons uh, present different uh, method methodological frameworks and as well theoretical and conceptual issues. So at the end of the day, uh, it helps to build a, a well-rounded uh, no scholar. Divine further. Earlier in this episode, we heard about the striking success of some of the SSRC's initiatives, such as the Africa Peacebuilding Network, which has had 200 Africa-based fellows in the last seven years. But for the ESRC, the picture is slightly different. James Smith gives us more details. I, th I think there's schemes which have helped individuals and they've built up longer-term research relationships with partners in other parts of the world, and that works really well. I, I guess an issue for the ESRC is, relatively speaking, the amount of money it disperses is pretty small compared to other research councils or the Wellcome Trust and Foundations. So the extent to which you can build meaningful institutional capacity through ESRC activity is, is quite limited. Um, again, I would look to the Wellcome Trust. I think they've had quite quite a few quite innovative programs which are trying to build biomedical research capacity in a really sustained way, whether it's setting up joint institutes or um, you know, quite long-term five- or seven-year doctoral joint doctoral training programs. They're the things which um, would always spring to my mind. And I guess on the other end of the spectrum, there are um, country, European countries, um, I think Swedish CEDA uh, and Danida, 
who've made real efforts to identify particular universities and just in in, in um, LMICs and just support them and fund them to be to be really excellent. But you know, I would I I, would, I wonder whether that's the best approach if we understand universities as existing within complex systems. Thanks to Professor James Smith of the ESRC and the University of Edinburgh. So what does the future hold in terms of funding opportunities for Africa-based researchers? Cyril Obi presents his dream scenario. What I also want to see 10 years from now is a more formidable and sizable African presence in global discourses and in terms of global knowledge production. Some of what is actually written about Africa is produced by scholars, both African and non-African, who are based outside of the continent. A lot of the publishing that is internationally available is also produced outside the continent. I want to see in 10 years' time that a shift into most of those scholars being based in Africa and most of what is published internationally actually coming out of African universities and African institutions. For Divine Fur, the future depends on government action. Things may get better. I did not say they will be better. I'm saying that they may get better because we're we actually seeing that institutions, uh, in spite of the fact that they are increasingly becoming conscious uh, of, of the importance of growth, investment, and development that, uh, you know, funding is really a big issue across. So what, what are these institutions going to do without money? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do without money. I think in 10, 10 years, uh, we are going to maybe have more conscious citizens, students, and others, but uh, the way things are going, universities will continue to, to struggle. If we don't have, we don't get private, the private sector investing in higher education, if we don't get government investing in higher education, if we don't have Pan-African efforts to invest in research in higher education on the continent, I'm sorry, uh, I don't see... Uh, much difference. We are going to have others, I mean, like uh, many of the international uh, organizations and institutions increase their funding on specific issues. We, we are seeing uh, many countries uh, building centers for advanced studies, you know. Uh, so we, we're going to see what we used to have back in the 60s and 70s, a University of London in Freetown, you know, or uh, University of Paris in uh, Dakar. We're going to increasingly see that unless our governments and private sectors change their strategy. Thanks very much to Dr. Divinefer of Cordesria, Dr. Cyril Obi of the SSRC, and Professor James Smith of the ESRC and the University of Edinburgh for contributing to this episode. Do you have anything to add? Let's talk about it on Twitter using the hashtag SightingAfrica. Next up on Sighting Africa, we will examine the role of journal writing workshops on the continent. I'm Sierra Mia Willoughby. Thank you for listening to Sighting Africa.
Insights in Africa was funded by the LSE Knowledge Exchange and Impact Fund, the LSE Department of International Development, and the Review of African Political Economy Journal.